My name's uh, Jeremy Walker. I'm a composer and a pianist, 50 years old. Uh, but this is not a podcast about music. It's not a podcast about me. It happens to be about my dad. His name's Tom Walker. Uh, he started his own company when he was 22 years old. He was started as an accountant. He expanded into small business consulting, uh, negotiations, everything that goes along with that. Um, for the past 30 plus years, he's devoted himself to trying to answer for how small independent businesses run by iconoclastic people, not deliberately so, but by their nature, can survive and thrive outside of what he would call the crushing conformity of uh, our time and our economy. Uh, I heard about this stuff all the time when I was a kid, and I wasn't particularly interested in business, and frankly, I'm still not, but he is a passionate, provocative, uh, difficult, committed person, and uh, he's written a book called The Thirty Years' War, but that doesn't begin to capture the energy and uh, the spirit of what he's talking about, so I decided, well, let's do a podcast about this, and I never really wanted to talk about it, but we're going to, and that's what the podcast is called. It's called, Do We Really Have to Talk About This? And the answer is yes. Continuing to talk about uh, economic timing. And uh, I'm here kind of just running the controls with my brother Tom. And my dad also named Tom, so take it away. Well, this is a continuation of this session on economic savvy. This time I want to look specifically at the Fed's role in the economy. They uh, are charged with or seem to take charge of how things run in this country economically. The first question is to what extent and over what period, what period forecast can we count on their actions? The Fed has hundreds of economists, virtually unlimited access to data, and its decisions are arrived at what you might call the best possible possible way with consultation. In fact, its accuracy is impressive, at least on the surface. Yeah, the question at, at 76% accuracy. The question is, what about the other 24%? I think the question remains still on the other, on the first 76%, but the hardest question for which I know of no answer, is when something will, will change. And, but there's no question that the change or the correction of Fed policy is inevitable. Perhaps one way of seeing their record and that of others is leading up to the 2008 collapse. This following major shifts or major collapses in 1990 and 2000, it seems like it's on a 10 year cycle. Company short-term debt in 2008 was at nearly its lowest level since World War II. In 2006, the FDIC judged that 99% of the banks met or exceeded requirements. Things looked solid. One broad measure of risk is the spread between junk bond rates and 10-year treasuries, which in 2007 was unusually low. Another good thing, if you will. The IMF, with other big players in 2008, said in the month before the crash that everything was in good shape. 
The blame and somebody has to be blamed for that disaster was placed by the majority in a, in a congressional committee on people doing bad things. The real fault, of course, was the effect of cheap money and low or no down payments. Wallace lays it out well in his book, Hidden in Plain Sight. All the above said, it is very hard and uncomfortable to take a contrary view, let alone express that view. It means you will walk away early, miss out on some of the rise, set yourself against nearly universal opinion to the contrary. In one such test, it was two years before what I saw coming happened. I was still wrong. I also thought the price would fall 70%. It fell 95. I hear an echo of a client who raised the objection against reading the market, or reading any market, the stock market. He said the problem is that, or the mistake that people make is getting out the bottom. And so they're no longer in the market to ride back the recovery. I admit to some wisdom to his view. He is emotionally tough enough. I see no point in taking avoidable losses, however. And critically, he has no debt, enviably, that would cause him to have to unwind his position in a crash. Further, his modest living expense meant he could weather almost any crisis. Not to be missed, and I don't mind repeating, the greatest risk appears to be risk. Appears, well, of course it's risk. But as it is, it is, if not the if it is not the first crushing of return on assets, if you will, profitability, which result from buying when the urge to buy is at the highest, our way is expressing a way of comparing profits to the cost of borrowing. It is rather that easily after periods where the T bill rates rise above below, they rise, they fall below three percent. The problem is that certain industries are more susceptible to the risk of high-priced assets. In some manufacturing and in farming, especially for land, the ratio between sales and assets is tight. There's little room to be right and much to be terribly wrong. In crop production, the agriculture, crop production agriculture, the price of land is easily six times the crop sales per acre. I know of no one in this industry that faces such a steep challenge, especially since by custom and reality, the reality of physical reality, they need land in order to be able to farm. Bewildering as an, as an economic manipulation is, though it does not crush financial capital, what it does not crush, but rather that real capital still comes to dominate, and real capital is what? It's knowing how and knowing what. That is the reality behind the bill story with which we started these podcasts. I do not take up the use of certain devices to ensure against losses such as S&P puts. That is a subject of its own and apparently not really very popular. Besides, when you win, the first rule is don't tell anybody. It makes people unhappy. They make you, they think you've taken advantage of other people's difficulty. Nor did I take up the frequency of convulsions. As I said earlier, they look to be about every 10 years from peak to peak to crash. Yet the good news is every correction, though painful, restores what was lacking, which is I simply say is good sense. 
I'll take up the matter of crisis, leaders and leadership understanding in, others, in another session. In figuring out in advance how to handle and survive, and figuring out how to do, do that when we know something will happen, but we do not know when. That last one's common objection to um, um, what's charged as being reading tea leaves, um, an idea of predicting crashes or anticipating what do you do about it. And, and uh, um, a lot of people who are, are very uh, adept with data and credentialed uh, have a tendency to say, well, you know, um, if you predicted a market crash for 10 years and it finally comes true, um, after at, at the end of 10 years, that's really a, a bit of a parlor trick. It's not useful to the preceding 10 years and on and on. And, and actually, hopefully you, we can speak a little bit about that phenomenon. Well, um, I did say earlier, and I think it's true, we can know it'll happen. I agree. What we can. cannot know with any precision is when it will happen. That is not to say that we don't, don't know the nature and characteristics of those things. So one of the things that we've done, and, and, and Tom has done specifically, going back to uh, the early 1990s. Is that 1990s? Yes. That's over 30 years ago. Is to say, okay, if something happens, how does it affect our cash position, our receivable turn, our inventory level, our payables, payroll, yada, yada. We've got enough data to go back and look at, probably in an, in an established firm, but certainly in an industry, data for those data points for those things. We can put them up against, say, a 10-year look. Now, what you're not doing is predicting when it's going to happen. You're predicting the effect so that your reactions then become precise enough. Well, that's exactly what I was hoping you, you'd cover. I, I mean, when you're talking about... I try to please. Well, occasionally it happens. <laughs> I just, in, in a real operating firm, the person charged with running it, and, and, and usually in small business, that's also the owner who has a real skin in the game. Um, <clears throat> the question of prediction, and, and I think it's how you always schooled everyone responsible for forecasting in your firm, is make uh, is honing your judgment as to which ways you can afford to be wrong um and therefore uh, the idea of uh, judging uh, some sort of turn uh, a sea change in the market uh, often reflective of or let's say driven by a change in the interest rates um what's what's the nature of that calculation what's the nature of the risk and the exposure to the business what's the nature of their well all the other the details you said. It becomes rather practical on a firm level. On a macro level, um, it, it's also possible to judge and people make a living of doing that. Fortunately, we tend not to. Uh, we, we operate with the individual firm. Yeah. Um, you're, you're looking at, I suppose, if you, if you equate it to building a wall of defense around your business, you're looking at the points of vulnerability. And you know, running out of cash, illiquidity is a major point of vulnerability, and it usually is going to tie fairly closely to your lender, which is going to tie fairly close to your loan documents, to your collateral and covenants within those documents. So what do you do? You fix them. I sort of got thinking about it the other day. Is you know, one of the tricks in 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 running a business is getting a lender to to finance your business. The more important trick 
is uh, to shop around because these boys rent money for a living. And I want to find one that is capable of dealing with the reality as I paint it. And that may be hard to do, it's worth doing. Well, beyond the argument of what the market is, as Thomas pointed out, that markets in the last 10 years, the, the great argument is the crowd is right. It's been right. Um, and Siriki, in his book, points that out. And, and so we at least we would say in economic of timing of action, it is not true that the crowd is always right. They're mostly right, and, but they're also not permanently right. It is a, it is a right, there is a right time to uh, act. Low interest rates, and let's set the stage that drives this sucker. Low interest rates pump the economy and they pump or overinflate or balloon asset prices. So your house is worth more. No, it hasn't changed at all. It's more expensive. Everything associated with your house as it goes up in price gets more expensive. Real estate taxes. Governments that charge real estate taxes, which one doesn't, doesn't in, in, does, it would in fact enjoy the increase in the market value of the homes. But that's sort of aside from the point. If you're operating a business, you got a farm and farmland. I remember turning down land in in the 80s for 700 an acre. And uh, the last price I saw in Iowa, it's been a couple of months now, was over 20,000 an acre. At 700 an acre, I could, not me, but a farmer could make money farming it. At 20,000 an acre, there ain't such a farmer. Well, the result, aside from the inevitable later unhealthy collapse, and it is a later and uncertain and a certain collapse, is in fact, Returns on assets and what will come down, well, assets have to come down to cover the cost of money. And now and in the future, and since most assets, nay, even technology assets, wear out, the returns must recover both the original investment plus the profit on the investment and, 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 and uh, the cost of carrying that investment, which 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 profits are what pays for a future. There's no profit in what you've done, then you have no means of buying the next future. You might get all your money back from the asset, but you have no money with which to buy the next one or to replace it. Let's talk about re return on assets, and I think you used the word again here, which uh, drives so much of our practical uh, uh, work for, for people running businesses. Um, in terms of judging the nature of, let's say, an asset bubble, and it's kind of a, it's gotten to be a popular word. We, we believe it happens. We uh, we can demonstrate uh, the reality of them and the impact of them on a very um, uh, close at hand level in, in, in business. But uh, uh, there are those who, using the data very strictly, say that there's no clear correlation between uh, X and Y, uh, interest rates and asset prices. Um, I. I I happen to think they're wrong, but in terms of a narrow use of data, they can back, back their claims up. So uh, back to the, the, the practical implications of return on assets and let's say the whole question of planning, taking on new ventures, uh, um, at least the way we always handle this with, with uh, our clients is, is uh, whatever the asset price levels are, in other words, whatever investments they have to make to take on a new project, a new venture, a new business, um, 
if uh, they're making a certain bet as to the direction of interest rates, the, the question practically is, how many years does does that regime have to hold true for them? Uh, well, let's say first of all to to uh, uh, be safe from from any kind of catastrophic uh, collapse, change in the regime that would that would make their their business unworkable, and the second one is uh, how long does their play have to be correct? Um, you know, for how many years in the future does it have to be correct for it to actually return a respectable, uh, sustainable return on assets? I'm getting tangled up the language, but uh, because well, you, you, it's so much easier with a spreadsheet and real data in front of you. Yeah, oh, wait, I think maybe this will get to where you're trying to go because uh, you've been there. But, I, uh, I've forgotten we, where I'm trying to go, but well, try. we we sort of had an operating rule. If the cost of financing was uh, 7%, and the ROA we want to try to achieve is double that. Yeah, that actually, that's, well, that's ancient. I, I read it in Wealth of I'm Nations. I'm old. I can do ancient. Well, it's, it's older than you. It's Adam Smith and Wealth of Nations mentioned that uh, calculation. Well, now, let me, if I'm, I'm ready, you have a, I'm ready to wrap, uh, to be done. Well, you're not, okay, finish what you, you got pages there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Go ahead and finish those pages, and then I'll try to remember what I'm asking. Well, the summary of this is the economic volatility is driven by government action. Their uniform approach is to increase credit supply, reduce interest rates, and create liquidity, which pushes up the price of assets such that it eventually blows up. The balloon pops. And so, while we don't know when, we can get an idea, but we certainly do know what. We can know what powerfully and be prepared. So all I'm saying here is, they used to say on, the poli on a police show, I love the line, they said this before, discharging the officers for duty. Be careful out there. <laughs> okay, now, that's all very interesting. And I think my... Uh, continued presence here is to ask this kind of question. I mean, the short answer, or the short way to say it is, uh, okay, so, uh, because uh, I go back to something I would say, if you're a farmer, you farm, you're a musician, you play, if you're a whatever you're doing, dentist, you dentist? You, drill holes. <laughs> if you're a, whatever, you have to you have to run your business because most of us, myself included, don't do this because it's fun. We do it because we have to make a living. Um, so all that's beyond a simple rule of what can we draw from that. Uh, all I could get out of it is well, I better keep cash on hand. I better not buy things when interest rates are low. And I better keep my living costs as low as I can stomach. I, I'm frankly adverse to such finite rules. I'm simple, simply in favor of saying, look, there's a reality out there. And if you're going to do whatever you do for a living, drill holes in teeth or whatever, it's, I want you to be able to go out there and not have to worry about what's behind you that you haven't dealt with. I'll illustrate it this way. One day during harvest, I called up one of our farmers. I said, well, what are you doing? I could hear the combine running. He said, well, I'm combining. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm doing what's really important. 
I'm watching the financial side so that you're out there, you don't have to worry about your hands, you can concentrate on the work at hand. His answer, I was jesting, his answer was insightful. He said, I cannot tell you how much difference that makes, that you are doing the most important thing to be done around here. And so what we're trying to say is, there are tools, they are precise enough, they're certainly more precise and specific to the individual than sort of sophisticated generalizations that the Fed operates under. We're not talking about trying to manage the whole economy. We're trying to say, what difference does it make to you if thus and so happens, and what steps can you take to avoid the consequences thereof, so that you're then free uh, to, to, uh, to go about your business. In fact, One, the, the only important part about, well, I shouldn't say only, but a really where it intersects, the macro intersects with the individual business decisions. Um, as someone's making an asset buy, and a, a farmland is, an, is, is a decent example, and I said, well, uh, I can cash flow this, which, which is often just as simple as that. I can cash flow this assuming that uh, corn prices are X and interest rates are Y. And uh, uh, so right now, $5 in interest rates as a practical matter of finance, are, they're under 4% still. Uh, all right, well, you have to make some economic judgment. Are those going to remain that way and for how long? And for how long do they have to remain at those levels in order for you to not uh, uh, take uh, financial hits from your land buy? Did I say 6,000 an acre? It's actually more than that. It's about 10 these days yeah. in Minnesota. Um, how long do, do you have to be right to, first of all, even survive being wrong? Uh, and second of all, to hopefully actually... Uh, maintain a rate of capital accumulation in your business permits you to you know have a future for your the next generation or some future uh, uh, buyer to have a future with it and you'd have a retirement um, and that's where of course you make a judgment well will corn stay at five dollars i don't want to get too industry specific on that you can argue endlessly about where it will go uh, interest rates uh, will they forever remain this lower setting records uh, uh, and, and we've been at, you know, uh, multi-century lows in terms of interest rates. I'm really simple about that. I think if it's there, uh, some like uh, some correction is likely. And in fact, across the globe, the, the, the Treasury is, the U.S. Treasury is not doing anything about it. But uh, uh, a lot of our other major and minor trading partners are, have begun to raise rates aggressively to try, try to deal with uh, measured inflation and everything it means to their uh, political heights. Uh, so you end up having something of a discussion of how long is this likely to, 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 to remain in place? Well, the benchmark to me, the safest place to be, was a place that we outlined in the Bill story, which when we assisted in that startup, he was able to buy the assets at approximately 20% of their value. So the big discount because it was in the midst of a crisis. And the interest rate in which it was financed was 20%. He put together his plan, demonstrated that both could work, which meant what? He had almost no chance the assets would get cheaper, and he had every certainty that the interest rates would drop. I'm reminded of what uh, one wife said. She said, you know, you ought to talk to the wives. They know what's keeping the husbands awake at night. I like that as a finish. But well, it, it, it's a. Actually, maybe we do stop there. Well, we, I have a question, though. Oh, no. Yes, good. 
the reason that it's you know I brought Tom in on this is because this is this is a technical area that I it maybe is hard I don't really understand which means my role maybe I get to be the stand-in listener and I we have some so I'm standing in for you all out there the question I have is it, it how does somebody hear this and not just hear well do I ever get a nice house and a nice car or do I ever get to I mean if a farmer likes well you it, go back to the bill story I mean if, if, if I think if it happened in in manufacturing equipment and interest rates were 20 percent and as I asked somebody the question suppose I think it's one of the recessions Suppose the value, the market value of the equipment was a million dollars and he paid 200000 Now, when market, when the price was at a million dollars, interest rates were probably about 8%. He bought them for 200000 at 20% interest. He has less interest cost. My point is that we have these opportunities. In between, those opportunities go away. But I, I think that uh, somebody said, well, you have to buy a house now because the rents are going up and up. I said, no. When the things are that pricey, yeah, you're paying more rent than you'd ever want to. But you wait until there's a crash and you will find that you can afford to wait and you'll be glad you did. When we built this house and I was looking at, I was looking at New York Mercantile Exchange, and nobody does this except wackos. But look at the price of the lumber. The price of the lumber today, at approximately, is four times what it was we built when we built this house in 2012. The crash was 2008. It took six, eight months to, un to get to the bottom, and it doesn't come back immediately. But I can tell you that the price of this house would have gone up a lot if I had waited for lumber to go up four times. Now, was there a penalty for that? Yeah, we lived in an apartment for eight years, which was far too expensive. It felt like I was wasting money. It bothered me. I should know better. But I would sold our house, which we'd owned for over 30 years at the, near the top of the market, and waited to buy this house and build this house up near the bottom of the market. Um, like the, there's, there's an inevitability. I can't do that anymore, excuse me, because at 77, waiting eight more years is sort of out of... I can run for president, president yeah. now, but I can't <laughs> wait to build another house. To be president. Oh, a very broad question for those of you, like me. Is there room to shoot from the hip? I no. I, I think it always comes with a cost, and, and, and I'm not sure what the word means. I, and people say it. I mean, there's instinct, and, and there's not just room for an instinct. There's a necessity and inevitability of it. What I'm saying, I don't yeah. want to know any of this. You, can you get away with it? All right, that's true. I think the basic talented question. people can, but even there, it comes at a cost. I mean, if if uh, yeah, if you like working hard. If you like taking risks, if you like going through getting ground up to a pulp, which can happen, maybe your talent, your insight will carry you through that. But if you can do it easier, a lot easier, that's better. It's your, your, your pick. 
Yeah, I think it's a fair question. I think it's a fair question, too. Because um, if you're a chef or something, you're just going to cook. I mean, you don't care. <laughs> well, <laughs> well you know, anybody who... Our farmers, yeah. um, um, we don't tell them to get out of farming, although we test our... If the math is particularly bad and it's a cyclical reality that it is, uh, we do at least test them. Art should just sell everything, auction off, and take your gains and wait in the sidelines to jump in at a more propitious time. Uh, the reality is they don't, and, and, and it's not our job to uh, uh, even recommend that as such. They stay in the game, but as they farm, uh, there's a judgment, well, uh, how do I expand? Under under what terms do I expand? Own rent? Uh, what's the nature of, of the uh, crop mix? And how do I uh, secure the equipment to do the, the work? All of those things are very, um, very governed uh, uh or at least influenced by a sense of economic timing. I mean, the good news is business is cyclical, and and there's pretty clear evidence, if you want to chase down all, all, all of the math, that uh, the uh, work of the central banks globally is to make uh, the cycles uh, less predictable, deeper, more catastrophic in their adjustments. But also, if, if uh, you're willing to be patient and you can keep the data to help you keep your head, the opportunities are also much much greater in practice we make these tools easier to use as to your point can you just go ahead and do it there seems to be a couple of realities one of them is if you're a single fellow and you don't mind in fact you could regard it as a bar a badge to having tried and gone bankrupt which is sort of the you know, mark of achievement i guess but we don't represent people like that typically they have a spouse, and they have children, and whatever their great enthusiasm and skill is in the backdrop of that is providing for their family. That's the critical backdrop. And the, the, the better news is there are tools available. There, we know how to make them, how to use them easily. We know how to show people how that works in a way they readily understand. And the reason for that is they schooled us in what they understand and what they will do. All right. Well, I think that covers it for today. I thought that was a good final question, yeah. Well, I think that the, I'm, I'm going to continue to be here to be the voice if I don't get it. But it, uh, it's, we're talking to independent people doing independent things, and maybe these are the terms. So I hope yeah. you keep listening to this uh because we do have to talk about it, and the web address—I forget—is it? It's walk, Walker. It will be Walker Insight. It will have been. <laughs> it will have been. Uh, it isn't now, but it will be very soon. And uh, you can find the podcast here and, and contact information if if you have the kind of questions I have, and you can talk to them directly. Uh, and we'll keep going. Everything is uh, difficult and everything is challenging in theory, but actually fairly transparent in practice. And that's, yeah, that, that's, that's the. Uh, well, what's the online. next one? What's well, I've titled it and almost requires explanation. I just looked. It's called Finding Bill. Okay, let's let it be at that because the podcast is going to be the explana ex ex explanation. So we'll All see right. you next time. Mm -hmm.